Welcome to the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16:15, Jesus says, Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person. This Bible teaching was given in the tabernacle in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit OceanGrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. We hope you've enjoyed all the podcasts that we've been bringing you. This podcast is taken from the message by Duffy Robbins from August the 18th, 2022. We also plan to have Duffy back in 2023 and to have many more podcasts. And now the message. Amen. Dr. Duffy Robbins is our presenter this morning. He's an Ocean Grove favorite. And if you haven't heard him yet, you're in for a treat. Please help me welcome Duffy Robbins. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good singing. Beautiful day. Thanks so much for joining us here at Bible Hour. I'm going to start off with one little bit of a story. Uh, The year was 1985, and um, I was preaching at Mount Oak United Methodist Church down in Mitchellville, Maryland. I'd been to Mount Oak on several occasions, and uh, uh, it's a church in the D.C. suburbs, and one of the cool things about preaching at Mount Oak was uh, because of its proximity to the nation's capital, uh, there were a lot of people in the congregation who had these kind of unique uh, government jobs. So uh, it was not unusual on a Sunday morning to be, um, you know, ushered to your seat by an FBI agent, you know, or, uh, or uh, led in prayer by a congressional aide or, or uh, maybe the special music was sung by a, you know, four-star general uh, at the Pentagon, uh, the offering, of course, somebody uh, from the IRS. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and it was just kind of intriguing. And uh, on this particular Sunday morning, uh, I had preached that preached again that Sunday night, and uh, I had uh, just finished the service, <clears throat> and I was approached by this one guy came up. He introduced himself, and uh, he asked if Maggie and I were going to go back up to um, Valley Forge that night. We were living in southeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, are we going to stay over in in uh, in the area? And uh, I wasn't sure what he was getting at, but I said, yeah. I said, we're, gonna, we're actually going to stay over tonight. We're going to be at the home of uh, the pastor and his wife, George, and Carol Anderson. Um, their whole <clears throat> downstairs is kind of a guest suite. So anyway, that's when he offers me this invitation. He says, now, uh, look, he says, I don't know what your schedule is tomorrow morning or if, you're, if you've got time, but uh, if you're free, I would like to invite you to come down tomorrow morning to the White House so that I can show you around uh, the, the West Wing and, uh, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, introduce you to President Reagan. And, uh, and, and that's when he explained that this guy was in charge of all the Secret Service at the White House. Um, you know, there's uniform Secret Service and there's plain clothes Secret Service at the White House. This guy was in charge of all of them. And uh, he said, I can't promise you're gonna meet the president, of course, I don't know uh, the president's morning schedule, but, uh, but I can certainly uh, take you through uh, the working rooms of the White House. And most of you probably know that uh, the White House is open virtually every day to public tours, at least every weekday. Uh, so anybody can go in there and uh, in the public rooms. And you can, if you actually notify your congressman, they can give you a little pass 
that allows you to get a VIP tour of the White House, which is actually a guided tour through the public rooms of the White House. But what this guy was offering <clears throat> was a personal tour through the working wing of the White House, the West Wing of the White House. And then he says, is that, is that something you'd be interested in? And I went, are you kidding? You know, I mean, what an opportunity this would be for the president. Uh, I, I said, uh, we definitely, we, we definitely are gonna, we're gonna do it. And, and so we're standing up there in the front of the sanctuary and we sort of worked through all the logistical plans for the next morning. Uh, he said we should meet him at the west gate of the White House, uh, between the White House and the old executive office building. Uh, he needed to be there promptly at 7.30. Uh, you know, he says, we'll have your credentials there. Um, and, and he particularly emphasized, you, you know, you have to be there on time because uh, the president has a daily cabinet meeting uh, at 8.15. And, uh, and, and, and obviously, we're not going to be welcome walking through the cabinet room during that meeting. So he said, if you're staying out here with George and Carol, uh, you probably need to leave here no later than, I would say, you know, 6.30, something like that. Given morning traffic in downtown D.C., down around Pennsylvania Avenue, you're going to have to plan to leave uh, pretty early. And uh, that meant for us a wake-up call probably around 5.30, but we went, okay, you know, we're, we're in. This is, this is too good an opportunity. We'll, we'll be there. Well, anyway, that Sunday night, we go to bed, and, uh, of course, our heads are spinning. We cannot believe that within a few hours, we're going to, maybe eight hours, we're going to be standing uh, in the Oval Office. And uh, but finally, we drifted off to sleep. And, and then, in what seems like the middle of the night, uh, I am awakened by uh, the sound of a phone ringing. But um, it, it's not my house, and therefore not my phone. And so... I just let it ring. I don't really, I don't really worry about it. But then, I actually hear footsteps across the floor upstairs, uh, and the phone ceases to ring. And then I hear footsteps again, now more quickly, uh, and the door opens down to the, down to the basement, down to the guest suite, and I hear the voice of George's wife, Carol, yell out, "Duffy, are you awake? <clears throat> Telephone for you." It's the White House. And of course, by this time, I'm feeling a little bit cocky. And so I leaned over to my wife and I said, I hope they're not going to ask us to stick around for that cabinet meeting uh, because we're, we got a busy day. And uh, but uh, but anyway, uh, I get up, I kind of stumble to the phone. And, and, you know, at that time of night, when you get up, let's say you're going to go to the bathroom, you're not really fully, fully present. You're, you're kind of on automatic pilot you don't really want your body to think we're finished sleeping so there's kind of this mental thing you're saying to your body no that's okay we're going back to bed and 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 anyway i pick up the phone and immediately my faculty snap to attention because i hear this urgent voice on the other end of the line duffy where are you and honestly, at that hour of the morning, that's not an easy question. And, uh, and, and so I had to think about that. So while I'm at George and Carol Anderson's house, she said, no, Duffy, Duffy, I, I am the guy you, I'm the Secret Service guy you met last night. He gave me his name and I, and he said, uh, do you know what time it is? I said, no. He said, Duffy, it is 7.45. It's 7.45. Uh, I, I was just calling to make sure you guys were on your way. Because down there in the basement, I mean, when you turned out the lights, it was just pitch pitch dark. He, he said, uh, Carol said that George left early uh, and, and, and she didn't know you guys had anything you need to be anywhere. So 
uh, it's, I mean, we've got Secret Service actually walking the White House grounds because we thought maybe you guys went to the wrong gate, to the wrong entrance. Uh, and, and, and then he finally says, if you haven't left yet, um, I'm sorry, but it, it, there's no way, there's no way we're going to be able to get you in here today. I mean, this, his schedule, the president's schedule is inviolable. Uh, once the workday starts, it's just not going to be possible to have you walking through here. We have zero flexibility. And, uh, and maybe the next time you come to Mount Oak, um, you know, we can, we can work out something for you to meet the president. But I'm sorry. Sorry, ma'am. <clears throat> it's not going to happen. Not today. And so, uh, anyway, by the time I hang up the phone, my head is just spinning, as you can imagine. Uh, Maggie knew something was wrong because she heard, she heard my end of the conversation, but, you know, she, she didn't hear what the guy said on the other end of the phone. And, and so when I get back over the bed, she says, what's up? And, and, and now I can sort of faintly make out her facial features from the light of the upstairs hallway and I remember still looking into her face and saying, what's up? What's up? Well, uh, what's up, Maggie, is that you are, I think, married to one of the only guys in the entire country who has slept through a chance to meet the president of the United States. And she looked at me, actually the way you're looking at me, and... and, and I deeply resent it. Uh, it was like, how could you be such an idiot? How could you be so foolish? But two comments about that, uh, about that uh, story before we move on this, this morning. The first one is this. Um, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Remember, remember I told you I was going to tell you a story? Uh, yeah, uh, it was a good one, wasn't it? Comment number two. Comment number two is it did happen. It just didn't happen to me. It happened to you. You're going, now, Duffy, did we, did we not take our meds today? Uh, what I mean by that is when I say uh, it didn't happen, uh, I, what I mean is I didn't sleep through a chance to go down to the White House and meet the president of the United States. I'm not, I'm not that stupid. And, and, I mean, I don't care what your political leanings are. I would imagine that if you get an invitation to the White House and to meet the president, regardless of your politics, you're probably going to make sure you get there. What I mean is that uh, you and, and me and probably a lot of us in this room on a regular basis, we don't sleep through a chance to go to the Oval Office and meet the president. We sleep through a chance to go into the throne room of the king of all kings and have an audience with the living God of all creation. I mean, think about it. Think about it. We have this morning this amazing invitation to be with the God of the universe, but for most of us, on a regular basis, we, we, we just kind of blow it off, you know? I mean, m maybe it's so we can grab another half hour sleep. Maybe uh, we're, we're trying to kind of snag some breakfast before we blow out the door. Maybe it's trying to get everybody else out the door and, and off to school, or maybe it's just starting your day and your routine and whatever. Or, or you know, maybe you need to go down and guard the White House. I, I don't know, but we miss out on the one thing we need to make sense out of all the other things we're going to face in the day because we don't take time to go into the throne room and sit at the feet of Jesus. And that is essentially 
the story we're going to read this morning in this passage from the Gospel of Luke. We've been talking about discipleship this week, and certainly a key, a core element of faithful discipleship is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is a familiar passage, and we're going to begin reading in verse 38. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, uh, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I, uh, I, I, I love it when the scripture gives us these, uh, it's just these glimpses of everyday life. I mean, what could be more normal? What could be more mundane than this snapshot of a household that gets a surprised visit uh, from a dear friend and is immediately uh, thrown into the chaos of, of you know, trying to get the house clean and, and, and show hospitality and make sure the guest uh, feels welcome and, and, oh, by the way, uh, prepare a nice meal for the God of the universe who a few weeks earlier fed 5,000 people. Uh, I love that because, because passages like this remind us that, that Jesus meets us in the midst uh, and messiness of everyday life. We, we've mentioned this a few times already this week. Jesus makes it clear that for most of us, for most of us, discipleship is not going to feel very dramatic. It's not the big stuff. It's the everyday stuff. It's those little moments that surprise us, those little encounters that happen that often prove to be the test of authentic discipleship. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. And the next thing you know, he leads us right back into the kitchen or the family room or, or the bedroom or the office or the locker room or the factory or the classroom or, or, or the, the, the recreation room. It, it's not just burning bushes and mountaintop wonder. Uh, trust me, uh, if you start to pay attention, if we were to begin to pay attention and watch for Jesus, he would surprise us in the way he shows up in our everyday mundane moments of life. There is no place he is not. Now, in this particular slice of real life, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. There's that phrase again. And he decides to take a side trip to uh, Bethany. And he's going to Bethany because he wants to uh, visit his dear friends, uh, Martha and Mary, two sisters, and their brother Lazarus. And you know most of this already. As the scene opens in verse 38, we are introduced to these two sisters. Um, Bible scholars believe that uh, Martha was probably the older of the two sisters. In fact, you'll notice if you look back at the text that Luke describes the home in Bethany as Martha's, Martha's home. It's, it's Martha's house. She was the owner of the home, so we can assume, I think, that she was the main provider for the family. And, and to understand Martha, 
to understand Martha, we have to understand she was a very practical woman. She always wore sensible shoes. Uh, to give an example, just, to, just, to, just one example. There's an incident in John chapter 11, and you will remember this story, uh, when the brother Lazarus has died. He's, he's died, and, and everybody's at the funeral uh, grieving and, and mourning his loss. And Jesus, you remember this, he gets there four days late, four days after the funeral, and, uh, and Jesus says, uh, okay, all right, look, uh, step back. Uh, roll away, roll away the stone. I'm going to I'm gonna have to bring him back from the dead. And of course, in the drama of this of this moment, family and friends standing there at Lazarus's tomb are just kind of dumbfounded and and amazed. Right? They 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 begin to hope. Could this could this really happen? Could could our brother Lazarus and our friend Lazarus be raised? And everybody's sort of filled with with marvel and wonder, except for Martha. Except for Martha, because when Jesus says he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead after four days in the grave, good old practical Martha says what? He's going to stink. He, he's going to stink. I mean, I mean, it, it's a riot because because you know you might expect you might expect if Jesus is going to raise her brother from the dead, that she would show a little gratitude, little a little joy, a little awe. But nope, not Martha. Nope. Jesus says he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and she's going, oh, wow, he's going to smell bad. Uh, I mean, that, that, that's, just, that's just Martha. That's, she, was, she was the clear-eyed thinker. If something had to be get, get done, uh, Martha did it. Martha did it. And we probably have. We probably have some Marthas uh, seated in this room this morning. I suspect you know who you are. I suspect your family knows who you are. Uh, as we all know, there's nothing, there's nothing that gets the Marthas of the world more wound up than when they think, when they think someone is not carrying their fair share of the load. I mean, Martha's flying around the house, first in the kitchen, then outside to kill the calf, and then poking her head back into the room where Jesus is to make sure he, he's okay, and then back outside to stir the fire. And then she sees Mary, who's just sitting there, and what's she doing? Look at verse 39. She is sitting at the Lord's feet. Sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha's tearing around the house at high speed, and Mary is basically in park. And let's be clear here, there's no suggestion. There's no suggestion in the text that, that Mary's trying to ignore the work. It's just that Mary cannot bring herself to ignore Jesus. So it's not, it's not just carefree laziness, it's, it's, it's careful listening. Luke tells us she sat at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. By the way, uh, don't don't miss that that statement because that statement in and of itself is is quite radical. Uh, it, it's 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 quite stunning. Uh, it would have been enough to cause scandal in first century Palestine because rabbis simply did not have women disciples. They just didn't do it. Typically, young girls wouldn't receive any kind of formal education. They were taught household duties like sewing and weaving and cooking. In fact. Um, among the Jews of the day, it was said, if any man give his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. 
It is as though he taught her lechery. In fact, uh, one first century writer put it like this. Uh, he that talk much to womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna. But that's part of what makes, I think, Jesus such a, such a fascinating, unique, uh, and, and radical figure is that over and over in the Gospels, we see this, don't we? We see at Jesus' feet people who were considered outcasts, such as second-class citizens, ne'er-do-wells, women and Gentiles and Samaritans, and most of the time, people just stepped around these people or in some cases stepped on these people, and Jesus invited these people to sit at his feet. Luke chapter 10, verse 39, tells us that, that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. But that doesn't just tell us something uh, about Jesus. It tells us something about Mary. Because um, sitting at the feet, sitting at the feet uh, of, of someone in ancient culture uh, was the posture of faith. It's, it's, a, it, it's a surrender of sorts. It's placing yourself under someone else's authority. And you see this throughout Scripture. For example, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, he remember Paul talks about the fact that he had been educated at the feet, at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 37, uh, when Barnabas sold his land, you remember this? He took his money and he put it at the apostles' feet. It was a way of saying, this is all yours. It, 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 it's yours now. You can even go back in the Old Testament. You see the same sort of, uh, the same sort of idea. Psalm 99, verse 5, just one example. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Worship at his footstool. So when Mary, when Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, it was a clear statement of faith. But it was also a clear statement statement of focus, a clear statement of focus. Because when Mary sat at Jesus's feet, Luke tells us she listened. She listened to his teaching. Now, we all know this. We all know this, uh, that there's listening and then there's listening, right? I mean, if you've been married, you know this. Uh, I, I love this cartoon because, uh, because it, it just says this so well. She says, um, go to the store, lay down the mulch, wash and wax the car, get the kids at school, rent some videos, and finish the rest of the dishes. What he hears is, go, lay down, and get some rest. <laughs> and and the, the, the Greek word that Luke uses here for listening, for listening, is a word that could literally be translated as absorb absorb. We, we might describe it as, as taking it all in or, or soaking it up. So, so Mary is not just a faithful listener. She is a focused. She is a focused listener. So what we have then on the stage of this passage then is we have one sister hearing and one sister hurrying. And that starts to cause some heat in the kitchen. Let's go back to the text, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to him, came to Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Oh, boy. Here we go, right? And now we're starting to see the, 
a slow boil. I mean, after all, I mean, Martha loved Jesus. Martha loves Jesus. She wants to listen to Jesus too, right? Uh, I mean, you, 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 you can't be distracted if you're not at least a little attracted. Martha wanted to spend time with Jesus. She did. But somebody had to be practical. Stuff had to get done. And, and Martha begins to resent that, that when, you know, Mary is sitting there on the floor at Jesus' feet, she's stuck out at the fire working on Jesus' feast. And that's where she begins to stew. You can imagine uh, Martha kind of walking through the room periodically, right, with, with loud, intentional sighs. Those, those of us who've been married for a while know so well. Uh, and, and, and maybe giving a quick glance, you know, an icy stare. The Greek word here is stink eye. Uh, it, it's not true, but, but uh, we all know that look. We all know that look, don't we? Just that, that acute, I, like, I, I remember in high school, uh, if you were in the library, at school, you're not supposed to be really, really quiet. And you're trying to be quiet, but, but you know, your buddy says something funny. And so you, <laughs> and when you do that, what does the librarian do? She, she gives you that look. She's like, and, and, you know, it's just that glare. And, and, and what I would do is, is I would go and fall out of my chair. That makes it fun for her. But, but, uh, or, or, or here's an even better example. It's probably a better example. Let, let's say, um, you know, your, your, your children or your grandchildren are sitting there at dinner and you've got some friends over uh, and, uh, and you're in the tent there and you're talking about boring stuff, you know, uh, inflation, the price of gasoline, the gas is really going up past the gravy. And, and, uh, and I think, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce a little humor into this, into this meal. And so they say, you know what, Grandma? This doesn't taste like pot roast. It tastes like roast pot. <clears throat> what do you do? You look at them. You just give them a, you don't say, you just look at them with a look that says, you will not get the car until Jesus returns. Uh, it, it's just that look. It, it says, it says everything. That was pretty much Martha's vibe, I think. She was not happy with the way this was happening. And so finally, she just blurts out. She just blurts out in verse 40, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. And let's just put it on pause here a minute to make three simple observations. First of all, you'll notice in Martha's response here that there's a lot of me language. There's a lot of me language in that question. If you look back at the verse, my, me, myself, me, me language, brothers and sisters, is always the kindling for anger and anxiety. Listen, listen for me language in your thoughts and in your words. Nothing distracts us from a focus on Jesus more than a focus on ourselves. But secondly, note this, despite the fact that Martha wants to sincerely serve the Lord, Martha has forgotten who is in charge here. But she literally gives Jesus an order. Tell her to help me. And you can imagine, Jesus goes, yes, ma'am. I, I mean, uh, you know, it's like she just gives Jesus an, an order. And, and it's easy. It's easy. We all know this. Those who have ever done any kind of 
service activity or Christian work, we know this, how easy it is. Even when we're trying to serve Jesus, whether it's teaching Sunday school or serving on a committee or working out here uh, at Victorian Days or volunteering to, to help, you know, maybe the great, a great auditorium, volunteering with the youth group, whatever it might be, going on a mission trip uh, or working in the nursery, to turn the table as if Jesus is supposed to serve us, like to make us happy. To, to, to give us success, to, to show us recognition, make everything the way we want it to go. Even good things can become bad things if we do them with the wrong attitude. And Martha, despite all of her hard work, has forgotten who is in charge. And then third, notice that uh, at the heart of all the fretting and all the fuming is a simple fundamental question. Lord, don't you care? Do you really care? Do you really see what's happening here? Are you really checked in with my life and my situation? Whenever we lose the focus on the God who loves us, that he cares for us, that he knows our needs, that he understands our situation, that focus always leads from he to me. And that's when Jesus, that's when Jesus offers to Martha this gentle but very straightforward rebuke in verses 41 to 42. Let's go back to the text. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Uh, I remember when I was a boy, and you may remember this guy too, uh, that uh, every now and then they'd have this guy on the Ed Sullivan show uh, who would spin plates. Do you remember this dude? And, and, uh, and he would be running back and forth, and, and every now and then one of them would fall off. And for me and my brother, that was our favorite part, because you see that thing break. And whenever I read this passage, uh, in Luke chapter 10, and I get to these final two verses from the words uh, of Jesus, I think of the plate spinner. Because essentially what Jesus was saying to Martha was, you know what, Martha, you're spinning too many plates. You're spinning too many plates. You're out there trying to juggle all these dishes when what you really need to do is be focused on me. One thing, one thing is necessary. One thing is needful. You're trying to focus on keeping all these plates in the air, but authentic balance can only happen when you are focused and faithful in your relationship with me. Now, you might be thinking, well, 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 well wait a minute. Is Jesus saying that hospitality is unimportant, that we're supposed to kind of hope the meal is going to cook itself? Uh, that work is all bad, worship is all good, uh, that we're supposed to just sit around and kind of, you know, keep our heads in the clouds, that Mary is awesome and Martha is kind of Cruella de Vil. Uh, I can just imagine some, some of you ladies maybe going home, you know, after this uh, study this morning and when people start asking for dinner, you say, you know what? You make your own food. I am sitting at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> That's not where this passage wants to take us. Deeds do matter. Deeds do matter. It's not either or. To be faithful to Jesus is to actively love and serve 
our neighbor. Jesus never rebuked Martha for what she was doing. He rebuked Martha for what she wasn't doing. She was letting good things, important things, distract her from the best thing, the one thing needed. And of course, when we neglect the most important thing, even the good things we do, we do with a lousy attitude. Uh, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, put it best. He said, you cannot get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. By putting first things first. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, uh, Duffy, I get it. Now, we, we need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. But what does that mean in, in practical? What does that mean in practical terms? Um, some of you have heard me before uh, know that one of my hobbies uh, is optical illusions. Optical illusions. And, and uh, do we have any optical illusion fans in the house? Yeah, this is pretty typical, almost nobody. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, well, uh, you know, you, you, you've seen these things before. You look at an image like this and you go, you know, is it, is it a rabbit or is it a duck, right? Uh, uh, or, or how about this one? Uh, this one uses negative space. It's an interesting optical illusion. Uh, how many of you see the flowers? Okay, I'm a little alarmed that not every hand is in the air here. Yeah, how many of you see the face? Yeah, okay, right, way, way to go. Uh, how about this? This is, this is called a kinetic, a kinetic optical illusion because um, if you look at it, if you look at it long enough, um, you're supposed to see the wheels start to turn. Um, and, and, and actually, um, if you drink six cans of Red Bull, uh, this becomes a Harley and starts to circle the room. Um, how about, I'm going to do one more here, and uh, as they say in the news business, some people may find this image distressing, uh, but it's kind of, it's kind of haunting. Uh, how many of you see the face of a young woman or a picture of a young woman sitting and looking into a bureau dresser mirror? How many see that? Okay. All right, let me ask you this. How many see a skull? Okay, see, and a lot of that has to do with your experiences with romance. Um, it, 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 it's just interesting, you know, you, you, you kind of look at this. I'll show you one more. This, this one I actually discovered in a, in a church, on a church bulletin board. Um, you, this, you have to tilt your head that way to see this one, tilt your head that direction. Um, it, it's called the stones cry out. Do you see that? could tell the person just I'll give you 20 seconds to explain it to the person next to you who is not as insightful as you are so you see like a, a an older figure a parent type figure somebody uh, behind a younger figure and sort of helping them to pray the stones cry out that's kind of a that's kind of, and actually I'll show you one more this one's this one's also called the stones cry you have to uh, not for, but, but, uh, but one of the reasons that I love uh, optical illusions uh, is because um, optical illusions remind us how easy it is to look and not fully see. We look, but we don't fully see. And, and, and I think this is one of the big, this is one of the big uh, hazards that we face um, in, in discipleship is that we look 
at our daily lives. We look at certain situations and we see it, but we miss half the picture because we're not being attentive to God. We're not, we're not listening. We're not watching for God's presence, uh, even in the mundane and the everyday. So I'm going to just take a few minutes here. Uh, and this may seem painfully basic and, uh, and, and elementary, but I want to just talk for a few minutes about, in practical terms, about what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, obviously, obviously, the best place to begin uh, to sit at the feet of Jesus is to do these two things on a consistent basis. Because one thing is needful, we do these two things. One is read the Bible, right? Because that's listening to God. So if there's not a diet in your life of, of on a consistent basis listening to God, then, then, then probably you're going to be spiritually malnourished. You're going to miss much of the picture that God wants you to see. You will see a lot of things, but remember, it's illusory. To really see the truth that God wants us to see, we have to read the scripture and then secondly, pray. And that's, that's me talking to God. That's me responding to God. And, and I suspect that the, most of the folks here this morning, uh, you practice that discipline on a pretty, on a pretty regular basis. But Leighton Ford, um, in, in an excellent book called The Attentive Life, reminds us that there are other ways we can watch and listen and be attentive to Jesus. And I found this book really, really helpful. Uh, and so I want to just mention a few of the practical suggestions that Leighton Ford uh, mentions. He says, first of all, don't forget to be fully present. Be fully present in the moment. One of the guys I'm discipling at Grove City College, where I teach, one of my students is a football player. And uh, he told me that one of the most profound uh, lessons he learned about football, he learned uh, from our coach, Andrew Diodonato, who always tells his team this. He says, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Don't be worried about the last play. Don't be looking for the next play. Don't be worried about another part of the field. There is a football game to be played right where you are right where you are. And I think it's easy uh, in the busyness of life to think to ourselves, well, well, um, okay, look, maybe when things calm down, maybe when later on, when, when the meals get served, when life gets a little slower, when the kids grow up, uh, when the job settles in a little bit, then, then I'll be able to sit at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus is fully present for us in this moment, right now. I mean, Jesus' gentle rebuke to Martha reminds us that it's not a question of whether Jesus is in the house. He's in the house. The question is whether we will, in this moment, in this place, recognize that he is present, that he is speaking. And the choice is to ours whether or not to, to sit at his feet and listen or not. You know, I, I think, um, you know, Psalm 118, 24 says it best. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice right here. Rejoice and be glad in it. Be where your feet are. Be fully present in this moment. Be watching for the whole picture. Secondly, screen out the distractions. Screen out the distractions. Um, I'll bet some of you remember this old Windows phone commercial. Let's watch. Thank you. 
for a phone. Really? Really? To save us from our phones. New Windows Phone, designed to get you in and out and back to life. I mean, that, that commercial came out back in 2010, but the distractions that it points to are as recent as this morning, right? I mean, Martha reminds us how easy it is even for good things to distract us from the best thing. I mean, it's stunning. It's stunning how a device created for talking and listening can become our greatest barrier to communication. I mean, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever it is, it can be a great tool for Bible study, but it can also be a ruthless distractor. And we know how this works. You know, you start off reading your Bible app, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden something pops up on your Instagram feed. The next thing you know, you're looking at a chihuahua just like Tom Cruise. You know, and, and you go, where'd that come from? What, what happened there? Put down the phone. Open up the Bible put down the phone, open up the Bible, and then be alert for God. Be alert for God. Mary reminds us uh, of the importance, even in the flurry of the everyday to watch for God. I, I think sometimes uh, we, we can be like the gardener who, who used to believe she was growing beauty but has now handled so much dirt that she just sees her daily life as one of filling pots. Or, or the professional golfer, how about this, who, who got into the sport because he loved the game, uh, used to enjoy the beautiful scenery, the greens, the smell of the grass, but has long since forgotten what it was like to swing a club for pleasure. Or, or, or uh, I think one of the special occupational hazards of, of those of us in ministry is that we, we, f we fail here, we stumble here because we get so used to the things of God that we lose the sense of wonder in our call. And, and it happens to all of us. Awareness uh, is an attitude that listens and watches for God even in the midst of our ordinary everyday activities. I don't know if you remember this poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I think it's so profound. She says, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. We need to learn to be watchful. God is doing something in your life today. You may not see it, but don't miss it. There's more to the picture right where you are. Don't miss the show. Be alert, be alert and watch for God. And then I'm going to add one more, uh, one more suggestion. And this is actually from Eugene Peterson, who's one of my literary mentors. Uh, he wrote a book called The Shape of Pastoral Integrity. Well, actually, the title is Working the Angles, Working the Angles. Uh, I know some of you are in the ministry uh, vocationally. Some of you are retired ministers. But, but all of us, all of us are called to serve. And Eugene Peterson's uh, suggestion about how do we do this with integrity, how do we do this with the right attitude, I, I think is a, is a brilliant study in listening. He, he says that essentially there are three ways that we listen. We listen to God in my own life, and that's, that's prayer. Listening to God in my own life, that's, that's prayer. 
prayer. In other words, it's not just me talking, it's me, it's me listening in prayer. And then I listen to God in history. That's reading the scripture. We've talked about those two elements already. But then he adds a third, and I think this is really important and often overlooked. It's probably why we miss some of the picture sometimes. Listening to God in the life of another person. This is sometimes called spiritual direction, but it can be called discipleship. It could even in one sense just be called spiritual friendship. It's walking with another with the recognition that God is working in this person's life. And, and whether it's somebody you run into on the green or somebody at the store or somebody on your porch to recognize that, you know what? What's amazing is that God is present right here in this person right now. And this is a conversation. Now, what's important to note with all three of these angles, all three of these disciplines, is that the core, the focus is on God. That God is the heart of all of it. You know, again, Oswald Chambers, who certainly knew about the hazards of, of vocational ministry, uh, he wrote a statement that has always haunted me. Uh, you know, he, he says, the only way to survive in ministry is to steadfastly refuse to be interested in ministry and to be interested only in Jesus Christ. Working the angles on a daily basis that can be absolutely critical if we want to see the whole picture. The bottom line is this, careful listening uh, is a skill and it takes uh, prayerful intention. But let me say this, let me say this. If you are, this morning, one of those Martha types, and I'll be the first to confess that I definitely can be, uh, if I'm not careful to keep my focus, uh, I, I, I remember Jesus' response to Martha that day in Luke chapter 10, because it's quite moving. Go back to the text, verse 41. The Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What I love about this text is that uh, Jesus didn't say, okay, you're finished. You know, I don't love you anymore. You're no longer welcome at my feet. Uh, I'm no longer going to sit at your table. Uh, in fact, the way he said, and I'm sure some of you know this, the way he said Martha's name twice was a way in ancient Near Eastern culture of communicating deep affection. Uh, in fact, some of you will remember that uh, ancient text from the Kingsman, Louis, Louis, just kidding. But it, it, was, it, was, it was a way of expressing deep affection. And, and there are actually uh, at least 15 times in the Bible when a person is addressed uh, by this repetition of his name. And it's always meant to convey a special and deep affection. You see it, uh, for example, in the book of Exodus, God says Moses. God called Moses, Moses. Uh, when David was brooding over the death of his son, Absalom, he's going, Absalom, Absalom. Uh, in Luke 13, when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you up like a hen with her chicks. And uh, in fact, when Jesus spoke to Martha that day in the midst of the mess and the busyness, he was speaking with the deepest tenderness and affection. It was not an indictment. It was an invitation. It was an invitation to the throne room. And I wonder, I wonder how many plate spinners we have in the house this morning who haven't yet fully responded to that invitation. Maybe like Martha, you're, you're worried. 
you're sitting here this morning and for for many reasons that are rational and, and make sense you are upset and worried about many things listen men and women does not matter how many important things are on our to-do list if we're not looking at the one thing we're not doing the one thing needed near the end of the book Leighton Ford in the attentive life writes a little poem and it's called regrets only regrets only for admiring the painting and not knowing the artist wanted to meet you for pulsing with joy and never realizing there was a source for tasting the sweetness and the savor and not thinking to ask who made it so good for longing for love and not dreaming that love was longing for you for remembering that an invitation came and not being able to recall what exactly you did with it for walking by an open door and never wondering when would be closing time I want to finish this morning with an invitation from Jesus into the throne room it's in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me let's pray thank you Lord for this stunning invitation for this amazing immense privilege to walk into your throne room and have an audience with the king of all kings but Lord help us to be alert for those daily surprises when you pop in when we don't expect it when we are on our way to do something else that's maybe important or maybe just mundane but holy cow there you are Lord deliver us from seeing only half the picture because that's such an illusion you are present right here right now help us Lord to have an attitude that sits at your feet and listens we pray this in Jesus name amen thanks a lot see you tomorrow thank you for listening for more about attending Bible study worship or additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association and for social media links go to oceangrove.org